it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dynamo's Dozen. You're listening to Dynamo's Dozen. Now let's welcome your host, Team Dynamo Kelly. Welcome to Dynamo's Dozen, the podcast that I bring you each and every single week where I talk about whatever may be on my mind from pro wrestling, sports, entertainment, music, movies, muesli, fresh socks and jocks, and absolutely everything in between, never forgetting the white powder, which is top. Joining me, of course, today, as you can see, if you don't know him by now, I don't know what you're doing on this channel, because this is my right-hand man, my brother in arms, my, uh, it's almost my partner in crime at this point, uh, in every single way, bar sleeping together, <laughs> and uh, listen, some of those away trips could be dodgy, <laughs> it's getting cold. <laughs> COVID, COVID put pay to that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, thanks for joining me today, Noel. Uh, it's good to have you on the dozen again. Even though we, we kind of mix these, uh, we mix these shows up sometimes with the dozen and the podman. But this is the second, um, the second episode in our deep dive into uh, the history of certain pay per views. Obviously, we started back in uh, in Halloween with Halloween Havoc, the great WCW Halloween Havoc, and uh, it was just myself where we kind of. Went through the history of the actual pay per view and talked about the nostalgia of that. What you listen to that show, and I know you're a big fan of those type of shows as well. So, what 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 you're thinking on on, on this kind of concept? I just I, I love the idea of it because I loved I loved these pay per views because you know the 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 timing of them was perfect, the mm. settings were perfect, and like WCW just spared no expense when it came to these things. You know what I mean? They blew it out there big time and. Um, just just great nostalgia effect and stuff like that. It's great to look back at them and stuff like that. I suppose just before we get into it as well, um, if you look back on a, a Podman episode, Altar Belts, um, a friend of the podcast, Amir, who appeared on that show, uh, sadly passed away last weekend from a stroke. Um, oh. So just uh, dedicate a bit of the show there to Amir. If we oh, absolutely. Rest in peace. Um, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, always sad to lose people, especially at times like this where it's just so mm. difficult, you know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. Thoughts and family, thoughts and prayers with the family. Um, and I suppose me coming in now like a vulture and asking everybody to uh, like and subscribe the video is probably the most impromptu time to do it, but it has to be done because we have to keep the lights on, and especially these oh, colours. Yeah. So, uh, if you are listening, the usual stuff, of course, uh, you're watching us on YouTube right now or you're listening on Spotify, please follow us if you're on your audio um, app. Make sure that you automatically get all of our shows straight to your phone or your tablet or wherever you may listen uh, to our content. And of course, if you are on YouTube, make sure that you hit the bell notification, like and subscribe um, to our video. 
listen, we are basically like a Netflix at this point with about 10 different playlists. So if, um, you know, if football isn't your bag and wrestling is your bag, then you can just go directly to the four pod men and to Dynamo Dozen and you'll get all your wrestling content there. If you are just a, a fan of all the work that we do, there's pretty much everything you've got going. We've got retropayment where the boys look back at old movies and programs um, of the past. We've got On the Slab, um, which uh, yours truly is a part of, of course, where we uh, deep dive into the world of horror movies and stuff like that. Um, if you're a hockey fan, because I know a lot of you uh, Canadian supporters over there are, uh, are a fan of me, and I, in turn, am a fan of you. So uh, make sure you check out the final hook. Um, we've actually got a lot of non-Calgary fans that actually watch it just for the banter as well. So that's great. And then, of course, we've got the upper tier, which is giving you pretty much daily content more than once a day. Um, we've obviously got the Shankly sessions for all the Liverpool fans out there. We've got the Chelsea Roar for all the Chelsea fans out there, albeit mine have been a bit slow recently. Um, and I do apologise, but there is more on the way, trust me. Uh, going to be a new video dropping for this weekend. It'll be a post-match reaction um, this weekend to the Chelsea-West Ham game, and then we'll, we'll get it more regularly again. But we've had a bad COVID situations in our household now, which we've had to manoeuvre lots of stuff and working from home and all that kind of thing. So real life gets in the way sometimes, but it does not end at all. And then, of course, we have the upper tier Monday mashup. Everything in between, pretty much, Noel. <laughs> You're doing it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, yeah, you know your fans. There's a brand new show as well, Noel, isn't there? There's uh, the, the, the yeah, Red Devils report. Exactly. Ted so, and the boys, yeah. uh, our own Darren, uh, Ted and Greg as well. So without further ado, let's get into today's topic. We do have another WW, WCW um, pay-per-view concept to look back on. And probably one of the most famous ones purely for one incident that pretty much changed the game of pro wrestling forever. Um, but we will get to that. We're not going to, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to give you everything you want straight away. It's going to be a slow build here. Um, so Noel, just a little bit of a background. Uh, you may or may not have known. A lot of people didn't know this because they talked about two separate pay-per-views, but the concept for Bash the Beach actually started in 1992 um, with Beach Blast 92, of course. Um, obviously, WCW, they started to increase their, their pay-per-view show content from five in 1991 to six in 92. So this was part of their summer extravaganza, I'm sure, obviously, following um, following New York's concepts for, for SummerSlam. Um, and as part of that, uh, you know, expansion, Beach Blast became the, <laughs> became the concept, which was a terrible name, to be fair. Um, but as part of the show, like the, in the Mobile Civic Center, again, you're going to find a lot of similarity here with WCW. They like to go back to the same place regularly, which is, especially for pay-per-views, which is really, really smart in my opinion, which we will get into. Um, but yeah, this was, WCW were one of the first really to have these teamed style entrances. Um, and we'd see Jesse Ventura and all there sunbathing on them, sunbathing in an indoor arena, like <laughs> wearing the shorts and the, you know, the flower, uh, the flannel shirts and all that kind of stuff. Um, they had sand dunes and all around the entrance, which was very, very different at the time because I remember watching that and you did obviously as well. Um, but it, it was a great concept. As I said, it was, it was just one of those things, wasn't it? That 
you could see the expansion starting to happen in terms of them trying to up their game to match WWE, albeit it took a few years to do so. Yeah, absolutely. It was a massive move for WCW at the time, and they recognised a number of things. One, that they knew they had to move in that kind of direction that WWE was going, and they had to go head-to-head with them somewhat. But they were also intelligent enough, as you said, to know to go back to the same places constantly because they knew where their pockets of their fan bases were and stuff like that. Well, this one's a funny one, though, Niall. This one in particular kind of makes us a little bit probably wrong on the point just for the first one. Because yeah. it really should have been called Swamp Blast because it's in Mobile, Alabama, which they go. <laughs> so you're in the deep fried south here um, where people go missing in swamps. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So Mobile, Alabama. But like you're saying, they know their customer base is based around down south. So, mm. you know, Mobile, Alabama, if, if you're not in the, you know, if you're not in that city at that time, you don't know any better because you're just watching the you're watching the telly, right? <laughs> you yeah, don't know absolutely. where you are. <laughs> absolutely. It, brought, it brought the beach, it brought California into the arena rather than going outside looking for it. Um, and then of course we'll get into uh, we'll get into just we're, we're going to kind of uh, flash over this a little bit. So the first official batch of the beach uh, is 1994 July. Perfect time for the summer. It's in Orlando, Florida, the Amway Arena, which is obviously now um, the home to the Orlando Magic, of course. Um, also, Rick, Rick, Rick Flair's Hall of Fame. Rick Flair's Hall of Fame. It's called. It's not called the Amway Arena anymore. It's called the Amway Center or something, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, they, they change it all the time. Yeah, but it's, it's all sponsorship. Like exactly. Yeah. Um, of course, you mentioned Rick Flair, and this is, of course, the first meeting between the two biggest names in the sport, Rick Flair and Hulk Hogan. Um, 1995, they go to Huntington Beach, California. Hogan versus Vader in the steel cage match. And um, 1996, of course, this one is the pivotal year. Um, they're in Daytona Beach, Florida. So they've changed it up a bit. They've gone from west to east, but both sunshine states. Both will argue which is the real sunshine state as well. I'm team Florida, just saying. Um, and I know you are too, Noily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're both Florida 100%. men, really, aren't we? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> We're both Florida guys. <laughs> Hurricanes and Gators. <laughs> oh, stop. For two lads from pretty much grey and grey and grey stones. It's, it's, we're, we're seaside men. We just like the sun here. So. <laughs> um, 97, they go back to Daytona Beach again. So this is, again, the Ocean Centre. You can see they're kind of getting a little bit, all right, it worked last year, so let's go back this year. Um. 1998, they go to San Diego, California again. So they're going, going between the two. They want to keep it kind of keep the team pretty, you know, because I'm sure for all the fans and that weekend and stuff as well, they want to keep the beach team on the beach. You know what I mean? Yeah, once, once they got out of Alabama, they wanted to keep it real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. They didn't have Jim Herd calling the shot. We got to keep it down south, boy. Um, then, of course, 1999, they go to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then the final batch of the beach in 2000, once again, isn't the Tona Beach floor. So the Tona Beach seems to be the seems to be the spot here. But um, and of course they did have, um, didn't they have the one that was the the, the one in '95 was the one on the beach, of course, where you can see yeah. the sand getting in the wrestlers' eyes and <laughs> into the ring and everything. That would have been an absolute nightmare, I must say. Yeah. Uh, but it looked great for us to watch. <laughs> but, oh, absolutely! If, if you want to hear about 
doing wrestling shows on the beach, check out Honky Tonk Man on the road. <laughs> He'll talk to you about wrestling and rings on beaches and sand and all that kind of stuff. And oh my God. Lads coming back to the locker room blinded from bumping in the sand on the mat and everything. And all. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose there's probably, what do you think, No, There's probably only one place to start and then you can kind of give your thoughts and opinions. It, it has to be 1994, right? Hogan and Flair. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm sure you remember this pretty vividly being a fan of both both guys and one being the WCW guy and the WWE guy coming in to basically take over. Yeah. Most most people kind of talk about um most WCW fans will talk about Starcade and stuff like that and you know that set the scene and stuff like that. And we all know what WrestleMania was and stuff like that. But um this might be a controversial statement, but I, I would say that I'm going to put it out here that Bash at the Beach had probably more moments that sit with you in terms of wrestling and its impact on the wrestling business, probably than Starcade. And that'll be controversial to a lot of WCW fans. But I am a, I am a big Hogan fan without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Me too, if you yeah. think about those pivotal moments, his first match in there against Flair, where he wins his first WCW title. Then, of course, 96, we get the heel turn and we'll get into that, of course. And then 2000 was his final appearance and we'll get into that as well, all the controversy behind it and stuff like that. But when you think about moments in Bash at the Beach, these are, these are you know, historical moments in the wrestling business that shaped it and changed it for the future, still to this day. Um, and that's that's my, my thoughts of, of Bash at the Beach, you know, it's just... So many things happened there, so many incredible matches. But um, yeah, Hogan and Flair was just, I mean, the marquee speaks for itself, top of the card, doesn't it? And it's funny enough, I went, um, it wasn't even just in preparation for this, because as I said on a previous episode with, uh, last week's episode with, with Finley Martin, um, you know, I actually went back and I was kind of following it from the timelines anyway. And um Watching back on that pay-per-view, it's actually a very underrated uh, match between the two. I know people were probably, you know what I mean? It's, it's People were expecting the grand, you know, WWE WrestleMania setting. But look, Vince had his chance to do that and he didn't run with it. You know, for whatever reasons, that's not our... It's, it, this isn't the time to talk about that, but we did get it. And uh, the two of them had a great chemistry together, I think. You know, you know it's not going to be your catch-as-catch-can wrestling match, but... I think Flair brought out a different side in Hogan, didn't he? Because he was working someone a little bit smaller than himself. And Hogan was able to change it up a little bit. And he, albeit he's the baby face, but Flair knew exactly being the master that he is, knew exactly what way to kind of call this match. And Hogan obviously likes calling matches in the ring too. So it was a perfect, perfect match, perfect ma- uh, mashup, I suppose, to steal your point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the dynamic between the two. And, and it, it was interesting as well, because you see two boys here who like to call stuff in the ring. But it, it was kind of like Hogan was coming in and Flair was obviously, I mean, he was WCW, NWA, true and true, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you look at the two of them and it was kind of a battle to see who'd be calling what in the ring and how it would play out this kind of chess game. And uh, But yeah brilliant you know what I mean and, and and not even to talk about that I mean remember on the undercard of that we had um, a little United States title match as well between one Steve Austin and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat which was sensational unbelievable um, that match but yeah 
But um, and a lot of that sometimes, some of that stuff, you find that in WCW, don't you, when you look at it, a lot of those sensational matches are forgotten about because the marquee matches up on top. Yeah. And when people think 1994, they think Hogan Flair and everyone goes like Hogan Flair, boom. You know what I mean? Austin Steamboat, check that out if you want to check And you go back then and you look, I believe it was uh, Sir Stephen Regal in there with uh, with Dustin Dustin Runnels, Dustin Runnels, Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. You know, like this is like when you look at the actual level of talent they have, you, you know, you had the likes of Pillman open these shows, and then you had some of the Japanese guys coming over, you know what I mean? And yeah. um, just, just, just think about just think about that now. Brian Pillman in an opener <laughs> that that straight away tells you the level of the characters. I'm in, I'm all in. Um, Bobby Heenan's commentary on this match is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, there's no way Hogan can win, but he's selling it. In the way that only Heenan can, that he's panicking, knowing that he will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you sort of get with Heenan all through his career as well. I mean, did he ever have any love for Hogan ever? Well, the, and <laughs> but the, the thing amazing, about it is, it? behind the scenes, they were really great mates. Yeah, you know yeah what I mean? absolutely. Yeah. But, so that chemistry yeah. that they had, um, you know, yeah. of him hating Hogan, you would have thought yeah. literally that he despised him. So when you learn later in life, you know when. We become the smart marks, I suppose, and you learn that they had an absolute love for each other. It's kind of like wow, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's you realize. But then I suppose I suppose he he and being his uh, his enemy for so many years, and plus the way he did him on com- on commentary as well, he kind of he he sort of pumped Hogan's um, brand up, if you like. Oh, you know? so, w- without a shadow, incredibly. He he it was very very inventive yeah. storytelling yeah. because it's like doesn't Jr. say that you know. That you know the wrestlers, they make the music and they write the lyrics. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, so important. Um, and it's I think it's the best analogy you could probably have. Is there any any kind of um? You, you said you wanted to get into some of the best moments that kind of stand out for you. So you've been the guest. Well, you're more. I don't think you're a guest at this stage, are you? <laughs> I'm happy to be a guest. That's no problem. I know you're. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know. When I go down through the years of Bash at the Beach, you know what I mean? Malenko, Disco Inferno for me in 97. Incredible. Jarrett Booker T in 2000. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the standout things at that time, wasn't it, for WCW? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just, it's, it's you know, it's, it, these matches are just, they're kind of iconic. And it, it, it's weird now when you see so many of these guys now are doing podcasts and stuff like that and all. And, you listen to Booker and Jeff Jarrett's podcast and stuff like that now, and it's um, you know, they, they don't they don't big themselves up enough, really. I think no. for what they created back then, especially Jarrett and Booker T in particular, actually, because I listen yeah. to uh, I listen to Jarrett's podcast religiously, yeah. um, and my God, the lad doesn't have a big ego at all for everything he's achieved, both as a yeah. as an in ring performer and as a Booker. Yeah. He was he was one of those unique guys down through his career where his mind was always on the other person. It was yeah. always on the other person, and I think that's probably what hampered his career somewhat in terms of if he had been a little bit more selfish about his own quality of work, Definitely. I think he would have done a lot more in the business in terms of his own body of work. Um, but then look, one you're gonna smile at Jericho versus Ultimo Dragon in '97, the cruiserweight match. I mean. You know, the, these ones just stick out a mile. The career match at 97, Kevin Sullivan versus Chris Benoit. Oh, well. Oh, well. You want, you want to look at you want to look at leaving it all in the ring and, and like, mm. bringing a real-life feud to, to the screen? Yeah. 
Like every, everyone's talking at the moment about fans jumping barriers or set Rollins and stuff like that. Go and look at the intensity and the build up to that match and the story yeah. that that brought you on was absolutely incredible. And then one that we've spoken about many times on the podcast, Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis 1996. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. That That's just so much. I've others in there as well. I mean, Jericho, Rey Mysterio. Who we you know what? It's funny. I have my list. I have my list yeah. here as well, and you've pretty much got them all. So, so identical. I had, yeah, I had Jericho Mysterio 98, yeah, for the Cruiserweight title. I had Kevin Sullivan yeah. Benoit, obviously, career match. I had Steve Austin, yeah. Ricky Steamboat, US title match. I had Jeff Jarrett, Booker T, WCW match. I had the Outsiders and a mystery guest. I don't know who yeah. he is, but we'll get to him later, maybe. Against Sting, Luger, and Savage. And then I had Jericho and Ultimo Dragon. So there you go. Yeah. Um, it's 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 weird it's weird isn't it that that Sting Luger Savage Outsiders match um gets on the list really isn't it in terms of match because it was not in terms of, yeah because the match the match was just an absolute the destruction and it was more about it was more about the aftermath than it was about the match but if you ask most people most people will put that match on their list. Strange, isn't it? Well, you know, pony, really. and you know the two boys, you know, and like that's not to take away. I mean, that's an unbelievable level of talent in the ring, all five of them. Um, but when you know your Nash and Hall, they definitely had a few beers before the show, and they're standing on the apron, just going, "Lads, yeah. we are going to make it tonight. <laughs> we are making yeah. bank." You know what I mean? When you when you think about it, and you look back on it as well, in terms of six man tag champs and stuff like that. When you, like Sting, Luger, and Randy Savage, could you pull together a better team when you think about it at that time? Not really, you know no. I mean? like it's, no. Like, um, and if you think about it, if you put those five together as a Survivor Series team, wow. <laughs> here's a little bit of a, a little bit of a side note before we get into some of the best moments. Um, WWE actually no longer owns the rights to Bash the Beach trademark um, because it was left expired in 2004, 2005 um, when they purchased it, the, the company WCW. And Cody Rhodes, obviously being the VP for AEW, um, he trademarked the name in early 2019 for use in the company yeah. as it was created by his dad, obviously Dusty. Um, mm. And obviously we know AEW Bash of the Beach was held. It was it was two, it was like a two-part special um on Dynamite. I think that yeah, it was yeah, it was a two-part special, Dynamite yeah. on January 15th, yeah. And continued yeah. with obviously Jericho's rock and wrestling. But um later that year in August, then. Uh, Cody's trademark was denied. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of just left there. It's left in the ether. I don't know. Can we can we at the Dynamo Podcast Network maybe trademark it and then just maybe gift it to Cody? <laughs> just and the funny it. thing about it between the two of us, we've plenty of beach frontage if we wanted to run a show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hell, you know what? All you FFPW and OTT fans and all other promotions around Ireland listening, get the get the sandals ready. <laughs> Tell, tell me this one thing I, I i was interested to get your um your um thoughts on mm-hmm. isn't it weird isn't it weird i know wwe obviously had SummerSlam, mm-hmm. but isn't it weird that they didn't put in they never used bash of the beach at any stage considering the the lineage of it and its its legacy and you know i mean dusty rose would have been would have been a big part in wwe for many many years prior to his passing and stuff like that you would have thought he would have been battling for that to go in there somewhere, even even as a big marquee show, maybe for an NXT or something like that. Put in Bash at the Beach or something like that would have been cool. In the same week as SummerSlam week. I know Vince, obviously, he only likes his own creations. Most that's, of that's, that's, like that. that's my answer, basically. I know yeah. I know they used the Great American Bash for a while, but 
correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that because they used to go to that crowd where Bash at the Beach, or, or sorry, where Great American Bash and all used to be held? So, yeah. you know, like Vince, I think Vince is definitely jealous of a lot of the creations. I think WCW's now, not I'm not saying Vince is jealous, don't, don't make this a headline thing. Oh, why would yeah. Vince be jealous of WCW? But I'm talking about the creative. I'm sure he saw on their side, like, that's a great idea. Halloween Habits is brilliant. You know Vince loves theatrics. So mm. definitely, you know, Vince in his head is going, that's a fucking great idea. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it, it, he would have respected all of that type of creativity, yeah. for sure. Mm. Um, but I think with the Great American Bash, and I think where you saw the looks of that um, would have been, you know, because it was in a certain area. And, you know, and a, yeah. a very patriotic event, Vince being the patriot that he is. But mm-hmm. that's why Starcade and all that go down to the NXT levels. And obviously why Triple H wants to keep the, the memory alive of a lot of these um, you know, shows. And of course, Regal's been a part of all these pay-per-views. Absolutely, yeah. Get I, just, I, just thought, I, just, I just thought, you know, if you go and you buy the company, you know, there's certain things in that company that are just guaranteed money. And using some of those iconic pay-per-views would be guaranteed money, you know oh. what I mean? Which, I mean, I don't know why he had such a hang-up about some of these things. Why the hell would you bother going buying the company if you're not going to use Listen, all the potential money-making assets that are available to you? I'm sorry, I've said it for years, and I've yet to meet anyone that's kind of argued this point with me. They should have kept it as a separate entity, do you know what I mean? And should have put the ego aside and had the likes of Jarrett and all involved and stuff like that. Or used it as the company to basically say, right, TNA, now we're putting you out of business because what you're trying to recreate, we have the rights to, and we're going to book territories down there. You know, should have just left it with China. <laughs> but that's that's it. Do you know what I mean? A great, you know, he's a great businessman and promoter in his own right. And look, they could have put a right team together. I mean, they could have easily mm-hmm. got the list of Kevin Sullivan back in to help with booking and stuff like that. There was plenty iron. Finley, who was all on the books, it was it was an ego thing for unfortunately for Vince yeah. to just bury it and leave it be and own the archive. But I definitely think they missed a, a trick. Um, and they left, was, a, they left a lot of money behind, a lot of money behind, a lot of money behind. And and you know what? I would have always said it's never too late. But at this point now with AEW, it is definitely too late. I think because people see that as that alternative, um, and a lot of the people that are involved in that AEW. Unless they're going to go and buy out contracts and stuff like that, they have another WCW. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think, mm. you know. But um, let's get back into some more best moments. I have a good one for you, Noel. Here, I actually mm. wrote this out because <laughs> I went back and watched it and remembered it. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Vader, and Kevin Sullivan on Baywatch in 1995. <laughs> you remember this? <laughs> You, like me, Noel, I'm sure were a Baywatch fan and not because we were such big fans of the Hoff, which we are now, but more so one CJ, a.k.a. the great Pamela Anderson. Anderson. Fine actor. Fine actor. Terrible looking woman, but fine actor. (laughs) I'd say she just about scraped the job at the interview. Mm, Yeah. So, uh, obviously... They <laughs> they don't like a uh, they don't like a kind of a weird rock and wrestling type co promotion uh, gimmick, yeah. and obviously WWE done something in '96 then with Shawn Michaels, you know, to kind of counter that with with Pammy and for WrestleMania. Yeah. But Baywatch was obviously such a massive, you know, 
evening show in, in, in America for all the red-blooded males uh, and probably females too. There was the odd, you know, some females like looking at that big hairy barrel chest of the of the Hoff. <laughs> but it opens up with, <laughs> with Anderson saving Hulk Hogan from drowning after he loses control of his jet ski. The Hulk Hogan, I wrote. Hogan is in town to help good friend Snickers, which is Randy Savage, um, to keep a local youth center from closing down. It's so honorable. Uh, it's closing down because evil Ric Flair has bought it and plans to tear it down to build a beachfront condos. Um, Flair and his gang of, of, of uh, misfits, let's say, or jabronis, whatever you want to call them. Vader, uh, just wearing his mask in public, why not? Kevin Sullivan, with his taskmaster painting, why not? Um, they're all there to help him. And, of course, <laughs> they're not going to let this fight go to the courts um, or the realty market. Or <laughs> this is Carney. So Flair challenges Hogan and Savage to a deed for a title match. <laughs> Hogan must put the WCW title on the line against the deed to the U Center against Vader in a steel cage match, which we get. Uh, Vader steals the basketball from the kids playing the youth center and pops it with his two hands to, draw, to drive home the point that they are the heels. His youth center uh, saved Hogan from a troubled upbringing in his own youth. So, so legit. So he and Savage are happy to accept the challenge. And uh, basically, did, did, I wrote here, did Nick Bockwinkle even sanction this match? I don't know, because he's in charge at the time. Um and they employ during the whole thing that Pam and Hogan might have a thing going on. You know, I'm sure that was a little Hogan thing. Hogan always likes to make you let you think that he has something going on. It was the same with Cindy Lauper, which he was happy to tell you in his book. Um, <laughs> she joins him at the youth center for a training montage. Just epic. Epic. Um, then there's basically what we call pretty much a shitty cage match. Uh, and the children who live at the beach get to keep their beach front youth centre, thanks to Hogan. Macho joins Hogan and Pam and the kids to celebrate Hogan. Um, a fistful of extremely large Slim Jims. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're a child of nostalgia or the 80s or 90s, this is for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember this now that I'm telling you all this? Oh yeah, this is this is golden glow stuff without a shadow of a doubt back then. Well, I hope my narration on this has sold people yeah. to go and actually check this episode out, lads. It's 1995. Yeah. I don't know the date it aired, but it's closer I, to the time. I'd say when I'd say when they check it out, they'll realize that somebody acting on it belonged on Spotify, not on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I suppose, Noel, it's probably. I mean, the next two big moments that happen at Bash the Beach is one after the other, isn't it? So, one, it, it, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing thing, because one moment is pivotal in Hogan's career and in wrestling career, and then his next moment at Bash the Beach is kind of madness, right? So, um, why don't you bring us into who the third man is? Where do we begin with this one? You know, he comes out and... Uh, Actually, before that, before you do that, tell me, transport me back to Noel in 1996. Now, obviously, you wouldn't have been watching this live. It was very hard for us to get the live shows at that point. 
Um, yeah. we, we, of course, would have got it after the fact through tape trading or whatever. Um, yeah. So when you see this or when you read it, <laughs> you know, in the sheets, you're like, what? Couldn't believe it. I was, you know, I'm red and yellow. Oh, you know I know. I mean? and it was just, and <laughs> it was just you like, named your, your, your second name. You're part of the bloodline. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why you follow Liverpool for God's sakes. John K. Fabian is all the way. That Terry Belay is a different guy. He's not the same. Yes. Guy. No, no, no. It's like Rocky. He's real. Yeah. They're documentary. Oh, it, it was unbelievable when, when it happened. And it was just, it really was. To this day, it's still a shocking moment when you watch it. Like, you know what I mean? When yeah. You, when you go back, I know you, you love going back through the years of WCW and following them through. But when you get to this point and you've Hogan there and he's, he's in the red and the yellow and it's just, and you've Main Jane there. Main Jane was unbelievable. Probably his best work on the mic ever in the ring. The boys are getting bombarded with cans. He was pivotal, wasn't he, Main Jane? Oh, he, his, his timing to Hogan and his responses to him and all, and, you know, how could you do this? And boom, 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 boom. And he just, he led Hogan in on all the points. It was absolutely brilliant. And it was just, of course, you've Sting, Luger, and Savage that are just laid out. They, they may as well have been Scott Casey and someone else, just a bunch of jobbers or something. Mike Flynn, yeah. These are, these are three huge stars, like you know, and you've Hogan beating the crap out of his best mates, and yeah. you know what I mean. It was just crazy, but uh. That the intensity of Hogan there, how he didn't have a heart attack pulling that promo is beyond me. He was just so in the moment and he was so... And remember, this is a guy who was shitting a brick about doing this. Oh, he yeah, was yeah. Like, he was like so concerned about doing this in yeah. terms of brand Hulk Hogan and everything else that went with it. But it was just an incredible moment in wrestling, wasn't it? To see him and then and then the, the transformation into the black and white like was just... Oh. He, he like he one hundred percent. That shows you how pro Hogan was, doesn't yeah. it? That he was able to channel those legit nerves into something yeah. that was. And I think having, like you said, you you touched on a very important point there. And obviously, we mentioned Bobby Heenan earlier. I think that would be a, I think that would be a good episode that we should probably look at doing soon. And um, with a couple of us and looking at the best announcers and the best stick men in terms of the guys that and talk about because I, I have a big interest in this and I've kind of studied it quite a bit. And when you look back at the old time announcers and what how important they were, just like referees are important in that match to glue it all together. When yeah. when the promos and the sh- not just the promos, mm-hmm. the show. I mean, Mean Gene is basically announcing the show in front of of, of fourteen thousand people. You know, yeah. he's there every time to try and gauge a reaction and get the yeah. right emotion from someone, say after losing a match or before yeah. a match. Yeah, such a such a legend, Gene Oakland. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Um, yeah, oh, 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 I, I don't have anything to add to that, really. Yeah. It was just, it was incredible. It, I mean, it, it set the stage. It's still one of the most shocking moments in wrestling history. It set the stage. It changed the game. You know, I know WWE Attitude there, they say change the game. It didn't. It didn't. This moment changed the game to create the Attitude Era, basically. Yeah. And they took it to the next yeah. level. Um, yeah. yeah, Hogan, just such a pivotal part. <laughs> Of wrestling history, isn't it? It's, it's why you you kind of find it madness when people try and dispute it, um, and that's not a knock at you, Jay Kennedy. I know you're probably watching, but 
Um, no, I, I think if you think about like if you think about some of the top twenty moments, say in wrestling, iconic moments in wrestling, Hogan must be linked to at least half of them in some course. shape, form, or fashion. You know what I mean? It's just he's such an iconic character, and it's as as I've said a number of times on these on these episodes, like the the stars and then the superstars. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like you know, certain wrestlers could walk down Grafton Street, and some people wouldn't blink an eye. And you know, you've Hulk Hogan who walks down Grafton Street and he'd stop the whole city. You know what I mean? Like everyone knows, and it's how they carry themselves. I think when you look at that, like a Hogan or a Macho Man, or a a Hogan, a Macho Man, Steve Austin, a a Rock, those four in particular walk down. You'll spot them a mile away. Flair purely from the purpose that he would have had that hair, and you knew he'd be watching Gucci or Versace, um, whatever else, and then. Macho because he just looks like a wild man and you can't imagine him not wearing a bandana and shades. Um, you know, I'm sure the likes of the Hitman and Sting and Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect and all these guys could go incognito. Um, you know what I mean? If they wanted to and get away. But these boys, you just couldn't. I mean, you know, Steve wouldn't be walking down wearing a suit. You know, he's going down wearing a pair of jeans and some, you know, wife beater and a... <laughs> and that's not an accusation, by the way. I said a wife beater top. Right. Um, I love Steve Austin. Um, I suppose flip that right on its ass, and we 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 go we go forward. What six years? To oh no, sorry, four years. Um, I was looking at ninety four there. Um, go forward to two thousand, and of course we've got that little rat now running the show. That is, of course, Vince Russo, and the public hate him. And he decides to make it all about himself. To this day, people don't really know what happened or if they, you know, I think they know exactly what happened. It was a cluster. I think poor Jarrett was the one in the middle of it all. Um, and Russo decides to be a tough guy on camera and then legs it before Owen gets into the back. <laughs> because if you're not scared of, if you're scared of Jim Cornette, I'm pretty sure if Hogan really wants to lose the plot, you're kind of screwed, aren't you? Um, well, you are if you're Vince Russo. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. Not if you're a macho man. <laughs> it's a different story. No, not if you're a macho man or Dynamite Kid or someone like that, no. Yeah, different story. <laughs> or different Haku. Story. <laughs> or any of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, to this day, it still leaves a bad taste in your mouth just because it made no sense. You knew Jarrett didn't want to do it. I think Hogan looks legitimately... Uh, uh, why don't you explain to anybody out there who is just listening to this for the first time and just kind of wondering what we're actually talking about. Let's give give a bit of narrative there. Obviously, Hogan... It was... He's trying, um, he's trying to get the title back. Yeah, he's trying to get the title back and, you know all hell basically breaks loose and then what's his name Vince Russo comes in and he shoots a serious promo on him Um, and then he leaves Hogan leaves and it it was Hogan's last match I think in WCW was was Um, he took the belt I I actually held that belt in um, two years three years ago in Orlando I actually held the belt and it still has Jared on it there's a picture of it there that I don't share with anyone it's just kind of a nice private moment but uh, you probably yeah. you probably know the one you've probably seen it yourself. 
Yeah, and then it ended up it ended up in litigation and everything. Then it ended up in court and all this kind of thing. And you know, there's conf- there's conflicting sort of um conversations about it now as it comes out. Some people say that it was legit. Some people say that there was buy-in from both sides and all this kind of thing. It's it, it, it's hard to really know. Um, and the I, thing I, is, I, Hogan, when he wants to be kayfabe, he can be kayfabe to the death, can't he? Yeah, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. And, and the problem you have is here, you're dealing with two characters. So you're dealing with Vince Russo and you're dealing with Hulk Hogan. It's kind of you're trying to believe the better of two evils, really, and you're trying to figure out God, who's telling the truth here and who isn't really. You know what I mean? Well, both known for probably, let me say it in a nice way, both known to spin a yarn or three, right? They've been selective with the truth at times. And poor old Jeff, it seems like an honest guy. He tends to uh, he can he tends to kind of stay away from it. I don't know what it has been talked about on the podcast yet because I'm going back from. Uh. From the very first one, so I'd be interested yeah. to hear his take. Someone probably has already, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a very very strange one. But look, what a what a way for Hogan to leave WCW, and, and to be fair, the company is pretty much out of business. Not long after that, what do you expect mm. when you've got Russo trying to save a, a company that doesn't want to that that you know? Again, I don't like to blame Bischoff, blame Russo or anything like that, but a company that basically is owned by a consortium that doesn't want to be in business anymore, basically. So there was no saving, you know. So yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, what a that's been a good show. I enjoyed that. Um yeah. any any final thoughts on Bash of the Beach? Just you know I just miss it for some of the iconic matches and stuff like that and all, you know, and I think I think there's definitely an opportunity there if someone was to go and rebuild it in some guy's shape, form, or fashion. But it's it's um from a booking point of view, you'd have to stack the card and stuff like that. There's a lot of legacy there and stuff like that that it has to match up to. And you know what wrestling fans these days, they'll always make the comparisons back. You'll go back to your Austin and Steamboat. You'll go back to your Jericho, Rey Mysterio. You'll go back to your yeah. Psychosis and all these different guys that wrestled on it and stuff like that and all, you know? So it'd be a difficult task. But... um. I mean, history tells you never say never, you know. Yeah, especially in the in the weird and wonderful world mm. of professional wrestling. Um, but Noel, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I think you have as well. It's nice to uh, it's yeah. nice to go back and look at these. You know, sometimes I do them by myself, but it's always nice to have a dance partner, especially looking yeah, back at some of these old shows. So maybe for the next one, um, we'll let you pick the you know pick the classic pay per view you know uh, you know team. And we can go back and look at yeah. some of the memorable, memorable moments of that. Mm. Um, have a little bit of a chinwag on that. But uh, yeah, until next time, for me, Ian the Dynamo Kelly, for Noel, the shopkeeper on this show, Hogan, <laughs> we are over and out. <laughs> <laughs>